hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's three, three in the European Cup final! And welcome to the podcast. This is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. I'm Steve Hothersall, joined weekly by writers James Pearce and Simon Hughes. In this week's podcast, we're going to take a look at Liverpool's transfer activity and why Jurgen Klopp has managed to transform the club so effectively with the players that he's brought in. Of course, from Virgil van Dijk to Alisson, most of these players have been a remarkable success and hit the ground running. One or two have taken perhaps longer than expected to get going. So we'll kick it off with an article that James has just written on Naby Keita. Without a shadow of a doubt, a player with bags of talent, but perhaps we haven't seen the very best of him as yet. Now, just like Virgil van Dijk, he was a player who signed long before he actually arrived. He had to wait before he could actually join the football club. So we'll start with yourself, James. How much of a factor was that in perhaps how Naby has subsequently struggled to put some consistency together? Probably that long wait didn't do him any favours in, in some regards. I think in terms of it, you know, it just cranked up that expectation levels amongst the fans and the excitement even further. Um and, you know, he did come with a, you know, a big billing. I think everyone had been blown away by how he'd, he'd lit up the Bundesliga in that 2016-17 season before Liverpool made their move. And then, you know, when you factor in the fact that Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich were very keen on him as well, it was it was looked upon as a real coup. And I think then then you've got him him having the confidence to take the number eight shirt, which, of course, no one had worn since Steven Gerrard had left three years earlier. Um, it was like, you know, this guy is going to give Liverpool's midfield a new dimension. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll come into the, the reasons why that hasn't happened in greater detail. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, I think we've only seen flashes of brilliance, haven't we, in his first two years at the club. He hasn't he hasn't been able to to truly put his mark on the team. He, I think he only started, I think, four Premier League games in a row was the best he managed last season. You know, this time around, he's only completed 90 minutes once all season so um yeah despite you know the irony is that before Liverpool signed him it was it was kind of this guy is going to take Liverpool to the next level well well Liverpool have gone to the next level during his time at the club but um you know he he's actually been on the periphery rather than central to that I think sometimes when there's a long wait Simon for a player to arrive the hype can build up and up and up and without a shadow of a doubt that went round Naby's name. Now, as James just mentioned there, the expectation was massive on him, almost the complete midfielder. It's it's a tough tag to handle. Yeah, I mean, I I do have some sympathy with him because obviously Liverpool pursued him for quite a long time and then obviously to to seal the deal had to wait a a full season. Uh, And a lot happened in that period as well. You know, it's just expectations around Liverpool changed dramatically. You know, he's obviously uh, coming to a team that's just lost a a Champions League final, but has gone further than than anybody really expected that season. And then, you know, obviously Liverpool competition for places in that team was was immense. But he did uh, he did start well the season before last, as it, as it is now, and um, and he started well. You know, I remember the West Ham game at Anfield, and he he really did look to me to be sort of that 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 player that Liverpool would be missing, and a player who potentially could could replace. Coutinho, I think he 
you know, there, there's evidence of a player there. Absolutely, I, I think. I mean, you, he can do things that, that the other midfielders can't. It's just been, I think, his availability has been the major problem. You know, not being able to string sort of many, many sequences of appearances together. Um, I think he was just getting into his his groove around this time last year when Liverpool went to Barcelona, and obviously Klopp selected him at the new camp and. That says an awful lot, really. You know, he's picked ahead of um, he's picked ahead of Jordan Henderson, wasn't he? That might, which is was a big call to make, and he started the game really well. I, I thought, and then obviously got injured and never reappeared, and was sort of on the back foot at the start of this season as well. So he's had a bit of misfortune there, but then you know, can you question is whether he's robust enough to play in the league? I think that feeds into sort of the idea around his strength sometimes getting knocked off the ball a bit too easily and and um you know that's been where people have got fr- where, where people have got frustrated with him at times you can sense that inside downfield you know when he gets eased off the ball a bit too easily um people people sort of get a bit wound up by that and th- that's the one thing that sort of surprised me really uh, he sort of arrived with a, a reputation of being quite a, an aggressive midfielder somebody gets sent off all the time but we haven't really seen that level of aggression is in his game, it could be that he's sort of settling into, still settling into England's. I mean, settling into the Premier League, but it's two years now, so he's, he's going to have to. I think. I think next season it will be make or break for him. Really, I mean, he's he's contributed very little, really, hasn't he? Over the first two seasons, he's he's done he's done enough to show that there's some promise there. But for the price that Liverpool paid. It's an awful lot of money. When he arrived from the Bundesliga, do you think the game is that vastly different than that he that he struggled with that? Did he struggle indeed with even just wearing the, the number eight shirt for Liverpool? Yeah, I think all of those things were, were factors. I think um, you know I spoke to Didi Haman um, for the piece I've written on the Athletic today, who who watched him very very closely week in week out for Leipzig um, in his role as a as a as a TV pundit over there, and and of course has kept close tabs on him since and. Yeah, he he certainly thinks that with the benefit of hindsight, taking that number eight shirt wasn't a particularly wise move because I just think it's probably enough enough pressure on his shoulders already without without having that the kind of the the, the the first guy to follow in that in that shirt number after Steven Gerrard. So um, and and I think you know, Kate has said it himself when he's when he's done interviews that the, the, the pace and the physicality. Of English football did did surprise him, and and and, the, and there was a period of adjustment, and um, that was one of the surprises for me, really, ever having only really seen snippets of him playing in Germany, but speaking to people who who, who watched him closely was, you know, they, they would always say, "Oh, this guy, you know, he's so robust, you know, he's you know he's so strong, you know, he, he, you know the way he holds off players," but I just don't think we've quite seen that. I think you know he has looked a bit lightweight at times, and. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the, one of the major issues for missing games in his last season in Germany was was suspensions after getting red cards. But it was, you know, it's been just one thing after another with injuries, and that's why I think you have to cut him a fair bit of slack because I think, um, you know, we there have been little periods where where you've thought, you know, Naby Keita has now finally arrived at Liverpool. I think probably a year ago, I think what was it? It's probably Southampton, Porto, and Huddersfield. He scored goals in those wins in quick succession and as Simon said you know I think getting picked to play in the new camp was almost a, you know a, a, the first real sign that he was he was earning Klopp's full trust because you know more often than not when the big games came along he, he wasn't picked and then similarly this season I think you know after a you know a real slow start 
you know, December time, he had that really good spell, didn't he? I think, you know, scored at, at Bournemouth, you know, created a goal for Mo Salah that day as well, scored against his old club Salzburg in the Champions League and, and of course, got another one over in Qatar in, in the win over Monterey in the semi-final of the Club World Cup. So you kind of, again, at that point, you thought, well, you know, he's now got that confidence that had been sadly lacking previously. He's, you know, he's, he's really staked to claim for, for regular involvement. And then I think, I think it, what was it, the Sheffield United game? He gets injured in the warm-up just after the turn of the year, out for another month, and it, you know, it just felt like he was back to square one again. So, um, yeah, he's, you know, it's. I think he has, he has found it, you know, a, a big, big step up in class. And I think, interestingly, what Didier Mann was saying today as well that he thinks has been part of it. That at Leipzig, Cater was very much the main man. That the team ticked around him. You know, he was given a free role to you know, to almost attack as he as he wanted to. And, you know, of course, at Liverpool, he's having to fit into a, a very different tactical structure. And I think that's been a been a real challenge for him. He does need a bit of freedom, does he, to shine? But it, it can't necessarily work that way moving into that Liverpool team, Simon. Yeah, well, that, that's where it doesn't quite add up for me in some ways because, you know, it's quite clear that, that Jürgen Klopp wants, um, wants runners in midfield and... It doesn't quite seem to be his game, you know. Past me wonders, you know, the, did the Liverpool team sort of develop at a rate that even surprised the manager and the, the sort of the recruitment team over the period of time from when he the deal was agreed to sign him to the point when he actually arrived, and did the needs of the team change in that in that process, you know? So maybe that maybe that's where things aren't just quite adding up, and the Liverpool team's rate of progression exceeded what they expected when he arrived, which meant. You know the, the standards of the competition in that midfield, and the the way the midfield was built was a lot better than than, than even they expected. I mean, obviously, the, 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 he's gone into probably the, the most packed area, the pitch where there's there's most uh, the highest level of competition for places really in terms of the numbers that are there. You know, Klopp can move it around and change it. He's the one who you'd say is is slightly different to the to the other players who are competing for that position. So when he does play, I, I do feel that Liverpool looks slightly more open when he plays. But then, you know, as James mentioned, that Bournemouth game, you know, against sort of the opponents who are going to, uh, who are a bit softer defensively, you can, he can like, you know, punish them, I, I think. So I think at, the, at this moment, he looks like a, a player for certain games rather than a player who's going to play every single game. I mean, would you trust him? In a, in a Merseyside derby or, you know, Manchester United. I don't know whether, you know, that Liverpool Woods at this moment in time. I mean, my memory stretches back to, to December uh, 2018. I think he played that day, didn't he, against Man United the day the day before Mourinho got sacked. And I remember that day he played a very disciplined role. You know, he was sort of tucking in and covering well for Andy Robertson. I think he, that's what he has to prove, I, I think, to, to the manager to, to make sure that he plays more games, but also, as I said, it's just his fitness. I mean, I, I don't think a player who's got a dubious injury record can can really uh, flourish in a club team. And you're only going to get so many chances. We've seen players who, like uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who's had a serious injury and it's taken him time to come back and reintegrate into the team. If you're constantly getting injured, I just think to get into the rhythm that this team's a bit of a machine, isn't it? The way it plays, you know, it's... A lot of it's based out of routine. Klopp doesn't like to make that many changes, really. So if you're not in that rhythm, it's, it's very difficult. So as I said, there is some sympathy, but I just think he's, he is going to have to step up sooner or later because um, 
just because this team, you know, at this moment, I mean, who knows what football is going to be like when it returns, but at the point of its, its you know, its departure from our lives, you know, that, that, that Liverpool team was a team that's built on rhythm and, 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 and tactical awareness, and he's still trying to find a way to fit into that, I think. The, the connection that we are seeing working more and more is the link between himself and Mo Salah, though, James. Clearly, there's, there's two players there that are on some sort of similar wavelength. Yeah, and I think we we certainly saw that, didn't we? When he had that purple patch back in back in December. I mean, he, he is a he is an intelligent footballer. I think you know, I was I was looking back at you know his goals and 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 the and, you know, and the quality of that assist for Salah at Bournemouth, and you know the the weight of the pass, the, the you know the timing of the run, you know that ability to to burst past you know defenders and 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 you know time it perfectly, and you know he, and he and he is able to finish. So he's it's 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 not like we haven't seen quality from him. You know, you can, and that that almost makes it all the more frustrating because I, you know, I certainly wouldn't. You know, I, I think he's one of those players with polarised opinion. I was, I was before we started the podcast, I was reading some of the comments on the article, and there doesn't seem to be much middle ground with Naby Keita. I think there's a lot of people that decided he was going to be amazing before he he kicked a ball for the club and and have kind of re- remained pretty resolute. In, in that belief and then there's others who are like you know this guy's a flop and we need to move on and all the rest of it and to, for me I mean, it's the, the the truth is well and truly somewhere in between because um I, I don't even think moving him on is even you know I, I, that, that would be ridiculous because it, it wouldn't surprise me if he went somewhere else and 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 absolutely lit the place up because he's he's got the attributes um you know he's still only 25 i, I, I just think he needs to evolve and adjust and take on board more more the, the 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 kind of discipline and tactical tactical side of the game. I think as Simon touched upon it, you know, at the moment it just feels like he's almost only really an option for Klopp when he's fit for particular games. And that by that it's almost like well, you know, if if Liverpool are playing a really limited opponent who aren't really going to ask many questions going forward, then you can have probably Cater or Oxlade Chamberlain as one of the three in midfield. If not, it's more likely to be Fabino, Wijnaldum, Henderson. And, and you know, and I think probably Oxlade Chamberlain has shown more than Cater that he can adapt and 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 and, and can be be the man for kind of whatever the test Liverpool are faced with. But I'm not sure we've seen that from Cater so far. You know, I think back to that game home to West Ham not long before the season was suspended when you know Liverpool were were 2-1 down after an hour Cater was the was the man to get taken off and Oxley Chamberlain comes on and helps turn the game and Liverpool win 3-2 and um you know when when I talk about sometimes Cater's work off the ball lets him down I sometimes get people saying to me well, you know how can you say that look at his ball recoveries look at his look at these stats look at you know he, he led the press and all the rest of it which and that, that's not really what I'm talking about. It's more, and yet you only have to look at Klopp's body language sometimes on the sidelines. It's more things like tracking runners and and blocking passing lanes, and you know, and just and, and just, I just think the, he's almost also been a bit of a victim of the way that Liverpool's style has evolved, where because the front three creates so much and do so much damage for themselves, then you have got the two fullbacks bombing on. It you know, there's almost there's not really room in that centre midfield for someone who's just given a licence to attack. Um, you know, I think I think th- those three centre midfielders have to play as a unit, uh, you know, to give Liverpool that control that Klopp craves. And I still think Cater's 
trying to prove that that he can be a, a part of that no matter who Liverpool are facing. I think for most fa- fans, supporters, us in the press, we might have expected that after half a season he would become sort of regular, you know, a proper part of this uh, this machine. But it hasn't worked out that way. That inevitably becomes even tougher, Simon, for the, the individual the more it goes on like this. Because, as James just mentioned, Henderson, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, that these guys aren't for moving, are they? No. And I think, um, you know, when you think about Liverpool players who've, who've Klopp signed over the last... Uh, well, five years since he's been manager. Um, you know, he's been he's been very generous with his patience. I mean, you've got to say he's a patient manager and he does offer opportunities. He doesn't give up on players that easily. Um, you know, as James says, I don't think there's any um, any possibility of him leaving at all. But, I mean, if he, if he wants to really nail down a place, I, I, I think there's a lot of work for him to do, as I've said earlier. So, you know, if, if you look at... Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, you know, he had to wait six months. Andy Robertson waited six months. Fabinho waited six months. I mean, he's been, you know, there for two years now. I mean, there's a, I think it's sort of hoping it might be like a sort of Terry McDermott sort of thing who took, I think, three years to really get into Liverpool's first team after having signed from Newcastle and then became one of the, you know, great Liverpool midfielders in the 70s and 80s. I mean, I think, yeah, I don't think that the crowd are like sort of, ready to give up on him next because he can, as I said, he can see there's a player there. You can see that he offers something that is different. He, I like the way he glides through the midfield when he, he's got that confidence and he's got a nice weight of pass. Could do with a few more goals. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's the one anomaly really in the whole, um, in all the signings that Klopp's made, other than maybe Loris Karius. <laughs> who obviously wasn't wasn't up to the mark. I think I think this is a different case with him where, you know, you can see that he he could play a part in Liverpool's future, but ultimately, you know, I think he does have to sort of uh, make a few steps up over the next over the next twelve to eighteen months to do that. Yeah, fascinating stuff, right? If you've not read James's piece on the Athletic already, please head there and do so. Great piece on uh, Naby Keita, and of course, uh, if you haven't signed up for the Athletic already, you can do so for free. Get a ninety-day free trial. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool Pod. Well worth it. The Athletic, home to four hundred of the best sports writers in the business. You can test it for free. Shevchenko scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Dude. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! Yes! European champions! Jerzy Dudek with a penalty save. Uh, Let's talk about some of the incredible signings that Jurgen Klopp has made and how they've made a gigantic difference from Virgil van Dijk to Alisson. Let's face it, James, he's been pretty effective in the transfer market. Oh, he, he certainly has, and I think you know when you when you also factor into the mix. I think you know his his net spend over what less just coming up to five years it will be since since he arrived is is, is less than a hundred million pounds. It's uh, a remark remarkable when you when you when you look at just how successful the recruitment has been. I mean, Sadio Mane was probably the first major signing of his reign, and. Um, and also, like a lot of the signings he's made, you know, people questioned them. I remember, you know, that that summer when Liverpool bought Sadio Mane, there was a lot of talk about, you know, was he, was he, you know, it was a lot of money at the time, thirty odd million pounds. You know, at Southampton, 
he'd been accused of being inconsistent. You know, he was he blew hot and cold. He he had you know little great patches, but it wasn't really sustained. And then you know, Genie went out him. You know, people were kind of scratching their head a little bit from you know a, a player that had just been been relegated with, with Newcastle. Yet you know what an, what an immense player he's been. And you know, and I think they were key in starting it off because. You know that then enabled Liverpool to to get back in the Champions League, um, and then you know it just made them a much more attractive proposition when Liverpool were then going to talk to players and agents in 2017, and you know what a window that was with Mohamed Salah and Andy Robertson, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, and then it just it just goes from strength to strength, doesn't it? With you know 2018 starting off with with Van Dijk, I think the most transformative signing um in Liverpool's modern era. Um and then you know Fabino, uh Shakiri, Allison. Um, you know, that that is what has enabled Liverpool to to take this huge leap to, you know, being European world champions and the brink of, of being uh, being Premier League champions as well. So Simon, what what has he done differently to previous managers that has made this work so convincingly. I mean, all, all the signs, uh, all the signings haven't been uh, ridiculous levels of money. I mean, James went through a few. That Andy Robinson, take him for example. What ten million pounds? There's other players like um, I don't know. Have you picked out Ragnar Klavan? He's he's played a part uh, in certain matches, which has been effective. Jordan Shakiri, of course, has as well. But he's managed to mix those with the big signings. But why has it worked so well on mass? Do you think, Sam? Well, I think unlike. Brandon Rogers, you know, I think there was, I think Klopp has been willing to work a bit closer with Michael Edwards. And I think Michael Edwards has a better understanding of exactly what Jurgen Klopp wants uh, out of his players, which means that that makes his job easier. And it, I don't think Jurgen Klopp has ever felt threatened by Michael Edwards' presence. He's too big a manager with a too big a reputation, you know, too, too much recent success out of working in a similar system at, at Borussia Dortmund where he had, you know, people who were doing all the scurrying around, you know, recruitment in terms of looking at players and suggesting players and he would have the final say, which is very clear at Liverpool now that, right, there's, there's more of a consensus about who who who, should, who they should target and who they should uh, offer terms to. Whereas under Rodgers, I felt like, you know, there's too many compromises. Um, you know, you go back to the story about Christian Benteke and Firmino. You know, it's just incredible that could happen. That Brendan Rodgers wanted to sign one player, Michael Edwards wanted to sign the other, so they signed both. I mean, clearly, Michael, history will reflect better on Michael Edwards on that decision. But it just seems to me that, that if you get behind the scenes sorted out, and and the manager knows that he's in control and. The, the sporting director understands what his responsibilities are. Things just become a lot more clear. And as we've seen, some of those, you mentioned some of those players there, that some of them were players who Jurgen Klopp liked. So Sadio Mane, he'd seen exactly what Sadio Mane could do by some of his performances against Liverpool in the first season. Klopp liked him. He tried to sign him at Borussia Dortmund and decided not to. And I think that's a strength of Jurgen Klopp's, you know, that he can sort of, well, admit that he was wrong about, about, about you know, he's not infallible. And he, he sort of thinks, well, I think he thinks, well, I could have signed the Fabrizio's opening, but maybe he needed that extra level of development at a, albeit a smaller club in Southampton. 
uh, to, to, to really sort of uh, learn and, and play more games, I suppose, at that time. So um, the replies like him, who Klopp clearly wanted, and a player who I'm sure Michael Edwards would have been well briefed on his his skill set, given how regularly Liverpool have traded with Southampton over the last well 10 years, really. So, um, But there's other examples where you mentioned Salah, Jürgen Klopp was was very keen on uh, Julian Brandt uh, that summer, who was at Bayer Leverkusen, you know, very talented player who's now playing at Borussia Dortmund. But Michael Edwards was able to convince him that, that Mohamed Salah was the player that he should sign. I mean, I've got to be honest, I don't think either of them have suspected that Salah would go on to achieve what he did achieve. I mean, not in your wildest dreams, would you think a player in his first season will score that sheer weight of goals and mm. become become the player that he's become? But it's just clear that that's the difference for me. You know, the, the communication, the trust that exists behind the scenes. You know, Jurgen Klopp is prepared to delegate. He's prepared to trust the opinions of other people. Um, I just think it makes a massive difference at the end of the day. I mean, ultimately, this 30-year wait for a title is down to getting the right players in the football club. And it's down to the transfer business that you do. And Jurgen Klopp seems to have pinpointed everything perfectly. So... Would you say there were there were errors, problems with the Ray Rafa Benitez, Brendan Rodgers, you know, had, had handled players coming in and out of the club, James? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think it's it's such a complex thing. I don't, I don't think it's 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 too easy, isn't it, to say, oh, you know, Klopp Klopp has been a, an absolute master in the transfer market and and those those managers who came before him weren't as as shrewd or didn't have the same eye for a player I, I think circumstances plays a big part as well and you look at the general health of Liverpool you know on, on and off the pitch I mean you, you know you think back to the the Rafa Benitez reign and you know that was an unbelievable team and you know when you think back to some of the players that were signed in that era you know there was there was a there was a you know, stunning array of quality, you know, Xabi Alonso and Pepe Reina and Daniel Agger and Dirk Kout and Mascherano, Lucas Torres. You know, these are these are players that made you know huge contributions to the club and took Liverpool very very close to um, to winning the Premier League and of course you know won the the Champions League. I think I think the problem then was a lack of depth. You know that and and also that feeling of just of just when Liverpool. What, you know, you just want them to take that next step. They, 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 they then stumbled in terms of recruitment, in terms of where the money went. You know, you think back to you know, someone like Aquilani under under Benitez, um, you know, under Julier. You know, you think of you know, that big summer when you know money was wasted on the the likes of uh, El Hajjouf. So there's been you know, it's been times, and then even even under Rogers, when you know, I think one of the most Bizarre, well, you know, the most bizarre summer window that I've ever known Liverpool to have is to lose Luis Suarez and and replace him with Ricky Lambert and Mario Balotelli. It's just you know that that still just absolutely <laughs> beggars belief the fact that mm. that was actually a transfer window for for Liverpool. But uh, you know, and I think there's an interesting contrast there, certainly between the Rogers era and the Klopp era in terms of. I think under Rodgers, there was always a you know an element of distrust between him and other members of the transfer committee, and Rodgers always saw them as a threat, and you know there was friction there, and there was all that talk about who was a committee signing and who was a Rodgers signing, and the feeling of you know he was more willing to persevere with players that he'd staked his own kind of reputation on rather than 
players that he felt had almost been kind of forced upon him, where we just haven't had that under Klopp, have we? I think I think it helps the fact that Klopp came in as a bona fide winner already. I think that meant that he was given you know a greater greater say and probably more power. I think, and, and I think also because he's more comfortable in his own skin, he you know he's he never saw someone like Michael Edwards as a threat or anything. So it's just been. The structure has been so much better under Klopp, and I, and I certainly think, you know, that that has that has helped in terms of Liverpool spending their money very very wisely. So, who are some of the definitive Premier League signings for Liverpool that have made the the real difference? You, you could say Virgil Van Dijk right now, but if we're going way back into maybe to Gerard Houllier, who is it, Simon? If you had to pick a handful <laughs> that would stand out as the definitive ones. Well, obviously, you know they're being keen to speak about this player, but I, I do think um, pound for pound of all the signings Liverpool have made, arguably in the, in the last 30 years, I mean, I'd say the best one has been Sammy Hippier, really. Um, I mean, for a player to be plucked out of you know Dutch football, uh, playing for sort of a, well, villain's way, I'd overachieved, but, you know, they were sort of historically regarded as a, lower-ranked Dutch football team um, at the age of 25 uh, for two and a half million quid. And then from to still be playing for Liverpool 10 years later after, I think it's, well, I know it is because I've got the stats in front of me, but it's 464 games, 35 goals for centre-half, which is pretty impressive, really. Um, You know, I just think, you know, he, he won everything that there was to win other than the obvious in that period. And, Became captain, had the grace to, you know, give up on the captaincy when Steven Gerrard uh, took over the responsibility, and then his performances didn't suffer. There was no dip, really. I mean, it was. I, I think he's been a great signing for, for Liverpool, Sammy Hippier, um, one of the best, and a bit of a throwback to the sort of the, the, the signs that Liverpool would make uh, decades earlier. And one or two, I guess, that you could argue that they've made. Under Jurgen Klopp, like Andy Robertson was, would have been regarded, I suppose, as a left field signer when he came from Hull, but has clearly um, established himself now as one of the best left backs in Europe. Um, I mean, I, I just, I just quite like the Sammy Hippie tale of how he arrived at Liverpool, and um, I, I was told actually that they tried to sign him in 1998, and um, Roy Evans was pretty keen at the time to, to go and get him. It was the summer when Julia and Evans took over, but Julier was like, no, we, we shouldn't sign him. And Julier ends up going to sign him the following summer after having had some pressure put on him by um, by Peter Robinson, who, who was the first one to see him, apparently, because a, a cameraman had loads of videos of him playing in, in Dutch football and said he just looks perfect And for Liverpool, given that when you think that was what Liverpool really needed, a big tall centre-half who was going to go and dominate the... You know, the the, the the strikers in the Premier League, you know, and he he um, he solves a lot of problems for Liverpool at, at, at you know cup price deal really. When you think that Stefan Honcho came in for more money that summer, you know he was obviously regarded as the as the biggest signing, but Sammy Hippier outlasted him by by four or five years. So yeah, great signing for Liverpool mm. and and sort of you know sort of a left field signing that you, you don't see too many of anymore. I think. Who else could we put on that list? I mean, you mentioned Diddy Haman before, James. He he will probably go down as a, as a very astute signing for Liverpool. Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. I think um, you know when you when you think about what he 
what he what he won at the club and and how in, instrumental he was in some really iconic victories. Yeah, I think I, I think he would have to be up there. I think probably if we're if we're having already discussed the the Klopp era signings, I think I think the two biggest ones for me would be Luis Suarez and, and Felipe Coutinho because I think um, you know both of those players you know weren't weren't you know there wasn't like a Liverpool didn't have to beat off massive competition for for either of their signatures and when you when you think about the the relatively modest fees involved as well and you think what was Suarez twenty two point eight million from from Ajax and I, I still think in terms of just uh, awe-inspiring brilliance and natural ability, I, 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 don't, I don't think I've seen anyone better than him in a Liverpool shirt. Um, so he was, you know, that that was an unbelievable signing. And I know there were some distasteful things along the way with with Suarez, but you know, in terms of will to win and 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 just sheer brilliance, you know, he 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 has to be in the conversation. And the same with. Coutinho, I think, you know, despite, you know, of course, because of the way that he engineered his exit, left a bit of a sour taste. But you, know, the, the, you look at the numbers to buy him for eight and a half million pounds from Inter Milan, um, and then to sell him for 142 million pounds to, to Barcelona, and um, you know, some of the some of the performances he delivered in between, you know, that was, I think, I think it, he he certainly Coutinho in, in terms of pound for pound, in terms of what Liverpool paid for him, what they got out of him, and what they ended up banking for him, um, he he has to be right up there as well. You see, there's a there's a few that have left under a, a cloud, but you can't deny that their quality and the impact they made. So Fernando Torres is one. I think that like, you know the season he was in his pomp was arguably some of the best of I've seen. Javier Mascherano, another favourite of mine, as, as a wonderful destroyer. Simon, there's there's some players there, aren't there, that have left with a just a slightly tainted reputation for the manner which they left, but you've got to put them down as fantastic signings at the time. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose over the last 20 years, ever since Stephen Bannerman left, really, um, Liverpool have sort of become a different club to what it was before. You know, in years gone by, like Liverpool wouldn't be ever sell any of the best players when they're at the peak of the powers. And unfortunately, you know, given the... Put different points in the last 20 years Liverpool haven't been near to where they want to be it's become easier for players particularly as more I guess more foreign players who plays in the Premier League and their ambitions don't always lie or don't always end with playing in the Premier League it tends to be Real Madrid Barcelona so some of these players I guess like Alonso and Mascarano Suarez you know the end point for them is 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 Barcelona or Real Madrid you know, some people think that it might be the same case with Sadio Mane, and I think, you know, over the, some of those players have left under cloud, under clouds. I think the the club sometimes have played a clever game in in sort of manipulating the the feeling towards them. So it's almost felt like, you know, it justifies them leaving. That Javier Mascherano, you know, all the news that came out about him supposedly refusing to play before he left, it sort of demonised him and, and made it become made him become a, a player that the fans had, would turn against and, and, and it rationalised almost the uh, the decision for him to be sold the same goes for Torres which I've sort of written about before you know there's different shades of grey of course you know Fernando Torres will tell one version of the, his story and, and the truth sometimes lies somewhere in the middle but at the time of their departure it was sort of all 
laden with the club, really, like in, in the sense that, you know, the club could done all that they possibly can to keep him. It's the player that's desperately agitating to leave. Raheem Sterling, I mean, what a player he is as well. I mean, I, mm. I think he's a, he's a brilliant player, Sterling, and I'd, I'd love to see him back playing for Liverpool. I know James Rose about him a few weeks ago that the chances of that happen are pretty remote, but I, I think he'd be perfect for Liverpool, really, in the way they play at the moment. And I, I do wonder how he, clearly, obviously, he's won titles at City, but had he stuck around and played under Klopp, I think he would have become, even the player he is now, I think he's improved massively under Guardiola, but, but would, have, would have been well served by staying at Liverpool and playing under Klopp. Of course, he didn't know he was going to become manager, but... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 quite disappointing that you mentioned some of those player names. I mean, I, I loved watching Mascarano. I loved watching Alonso, yeah. Torres, all these players. And there's a tinge of regret, isn't there, with 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 all of them? The, the way we speak about them sometimes. But you know, let's not forget. You know, they they, they were great players for Liverpool. Who, who who I think you know somebody like Mascarano. Every time he pulled the shirt on for Liverpool, you know, I remember that last game that he played for Liverpool against Arsenal on the opening day of the season. One of his best games. You know, he's possibly trying to make sure that he got that move, but, you know, never left anything, you know, uh, on the pitch. And, yeah, it, it's just been a strange period in many ways. Hopefully Liverpool will return to those days where it does become more of a destination. Right, eyebrows have sometimes been raised at player signings, and maybe no more so than when Mario Balotelli was signed to for the Reds. Uh, Simon's written a great piece on this on The Athletic, so check that out. It's well worth reading. But when Balotelli joined Liverpool, we'll go to James first, um, what was your expectation? Trouble or brilliance? <laughs> um, uh, do, uh, do you know what? It's, it's not the benefit of hindsight. You know, I, I just, I, I genuinely, and I'm more careful what you say, James. I, no, I, do you know what? I'm more than happy to hold my hands up when I get something spectacularly wrong, which happens quite frequently. But at the time, I remember getting a phone call in the office from from someone to tell me that that it was effectively done. Um, and it was actually from someone who worked in the property industry who um, who told me to, it was to, to say that basically, you know, Balotelli had signed for this this house in in Formby. Um, so and it was like it was like no 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 you know, maybe, you know maybe maybe he just fancies Formby and maybe you know maybe he's just signed for a club nearby because you know, I, I was on that tour in America probably two three weeks earlier when um, you know of course Liverpool played against Balotelli. Um, at that time on the tour and you know, everyone knew that Klopp, uh, that, that Rodgers was still in the market for a striker and, 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 and Rodgers was, you know, he was, he was, let's just say he was as adamant off the record as he was on the record that, that Mario Balotelli would not become a Liverpool player. Um, you know, he, I remember him kind of saying, you know, you can definitely discount that one, you know, no chance. And then, you know, unbelievably a few weeks later, uh, I remember having a conversation with Brendan Rodgers when he said, you know, essentially I had a, it was left with a choice between Balotelli and Samuel Eto'o. Um, and his feeling was that, you know, Eto'o was obviously way, way past his, his prime by that point. And he thought, you know, at least with Balotelli, you know, he's, you know I, I can, I can probably, I, I, he backed himself to get more out of him. But do you know what? That was, that summer was, you know, when I, when I think back to, you know, of course, Liverpool, you know the number of different players they went to, and it was such a scattergun, scattergun effect as well. You know, missing out on players, and then you know it was, you know it was it it, it was it was crazy. And yeah, I think you you just you, it was. I don't I don't think many people called that one wrong because you 
you, you, you only have to look at the fact that you know Mourinho and Mancini had both in, ended up washing their hands of, of Balotelli and deciding he was uncontrollable. Um, so you know, I don't, I didn't, I never seriously thought for a moment that uh, that Brenda Rogers would be able to succeed where where they those two had fallen short. So Simon, you tried to have a, tried to get a sit down with Mario Balotelli. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to ascertain the exact reasons why this happened. Where did it all go wrong? Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I, I put this little story up on Twitter last week and most people saw it in the spirit that it was intended, but Twitter being Twitter, a few people were like, what makes you so important that he would sit down with you? And I was like, no, I, I was actually laughing my head off at, at, at the sight of... Mario Balotelli running across the grass at Melbourne to get away from me. I mean, he, he, the, the interview was set up, and I was actually quite surprised that he'd, he'd agreed to do it because he, he doesn't do many interviews. And um, But he agreed on this occasion. I think he, he'd actually, his form had picked up a little bit. So players are always a bit more willing to talk when they're doing well on the pitch. And, but yeah, he, he did actually sit down in front of me and then declared that he had to go and do something. And I waited for about 10 minutes. <laughs> looked out of the window and he was sprinting from there was a door just by the um by the the swimming pool at Melwood and his his friend Desmond was sitting waiting for him in the car I don't know whether he'd done something in a part of Melwood where obviously journalists can't go and was trying to get away from that or whether he just actually was desperate to get away from me and didn't want to do the interview but before I knew it sprinting across the grass into the car bombing it out the car park gone never saw him again yeah I mean he's Different characters, I suppose. I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, James talking there about how he felt when he signed. And I was sort of optimistically thinking, could he, well, I actually wrote, I think, somewhere that he, could he become, you know, Liverpool's Cantona's type figure? I was like, no, absolutely not. Um, I mean, it became very clear quite quickly to not only Brendan, but I think um, a lot of the other players that this was just not going to work. And I wrote about it, you know, in detail last week so I hope people can read that but there's some stories there where you just you just realise that you know he, he, I don't think he ever sort of embraced the idea of Liverpool was not willing to uh, or, or change himself I think he, you know one person said to me that he sort of shuttered around like Zlatan and, and sort of thought that he didn't have he misinterpreted like sort of what a footballer has to do to not only sort of improve but obviously get his teammates on side and he, he just didn't really want to train you know he sort of would turn up late, you know, wouldn't wouldn't run when he was supposed to, would do the opposite of what the manager was asking him to, just sort of thought that his, his sort of physicality and, and, and talent alone would would get him through when it mattered on the pitch. And I think when it was it was sort of described to me that at City, when he was in amongst the cast of thousands, you know, City had several good centre forwards around that time, you know, players who Mancini could 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 reach out to you know other than Balotelli. Balotelli at Liverpool was was expected to sort of become the main man, and I guess couldn't really hide. And other managers like Mancini for a long time was was prepared to sort of put his indiscretions to one side because he could provide that one moment of brilliance, which ultimately won helped win City the first league title in in, in two thousand and uh, was it two thousand and eleven or two thousand eleven twelve. So. But that, that just wasn't the case at Liverpool. I mean, some of the, some of the stories that I found out, I touched on one or two um, older ones that I reported on at the time, but found out some newer stuff as well that I just didn't know. I mean, the, the, 
the Joe Allen story still cracks me up every time I think about it. <laughs> to be honest, the, where, where basically he he Balotelli was banned from driving and and had a teammate fe- teammate who lived in Formby fetch him, and 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 Balotelli several uh, several months after signing for Liverpool, having trained with Joe Allen and and played in the same team with him, was you know jumped into the front passenger seat and, and looked behind. And there was this mysterious character sitting there. In fairness, I think it was quite dark that day. And Joe Allen had his hood up, but he kept on looking at the driver saying, who is this person? Who, who is he, basically? You know, very puzzled by the presence of Joe Allen. I mean, I think some Liverpool fans might have been puzzled by the presence of Joe Allen sometimes, but it just sort of summed up that he, he wasn't engaged with, with the people around him and didn't make a great deal of effort, really, to sort of integrate. Just hope that people might accept him for who he was. But uh, that, that, that never happened. He just simply didn't fit and he didn't work hard to, to fit in. Look, I've been kept waiting four or five hours for player interviews. I've had players shout at me, but I've never, James, had a player run off on me in an interview. <laughs> I think I think Simon's got a first there, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I, from what I've heard, the, Balotelli's not the only person to do that to Simon. So I don't know whether they're... <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, James. Thank you. Uh, you can read the full article on The Athletic. Uh, don't forget, you can get The Athletic for free on a 90-day trial. Just go and look for yourself. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod uh, for a 90-day free trial. You can see all those brilliant articles that James, Simon and the rest of the teams have written on there. 400 of the uh, best sports writers in the business. Uh, let's round up the um, Player of the Year awards on The Athletic. So um, the winners here, and perhaps maybe, I don't want to call them the losers, but those who've come as runners-up. So we'll start with the Player of the Year. And on The Athletic, it was awarded to Kevin De Bruyne. So, um, James, a bit of su- a surprise with that one. I think maybe the expectation was that Jordan Henderson might have taken this crown. Uh, yeah, Jordan Henderson, certainly he got my vote. Um, but, uh, yeah, he clearly didn't canvas enough uh, enough votes across across the uh, the athletic staff so i don't i don't think you can argue with it too much I, you know de bruyne is is an unbelievable talent isn't he i think what, what he got 16 premier league assists or something this season um what what i would argue and i think this is where it's always difficult with these awards is balancing you know what that player has contributed in terms of the the actual value of of those moments in terms of you know what it what it's constituted for his team, what it's constituted in terms of points return and um, that that's why for me it would have been Jordan Henderson um, just because you know I, I think I think him and Sadio Mane have been the two outstanding Premier League players from from August through to the season being suspended um, just in terms of what they've what they've given Liverpool I mean Mane's been a you know an absolute you know, match winner time and time again. Liverpool have won, you know, a lot of tight games this season. And I just think, you know, people look at the stats and stuff and or scratch their head and say, how can you possibly, you know, ad, you know, advance the claim for Jordan Henderson? But it's, you know, it's the intangibles. It's the, it's the way he drives Liverpool on. It's the way he sets the tone. It's, it's the way that, you know, he, he his influence, you know, permeates everything within the the team on the field and and off it as well. So. Um, yeah, I think this has been the best season of Jordan Henderson's career. He's, for me, the biggest reason why Liverpool are where they are in the Premier League table, and he, he would have got, he would have been, uh, he would have been my pick. 
and seven Liverpool players named in the Premier League uh, Team of the Year, Simon. So the team was Alisson, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Soyuncu and Andy Robertson, and then Jordan Henderson, Jack Grealish, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, uh, Jamie Vardy and Sadio Mane. Would you go with that? Would you push any of those names out? Um, I mean, uh, most of those names, we had to nominate the top six and... My top six included players in that in that eleven there, um, so possibly not really. Um, I mean, I think Liverpool it's totally justifiable. Liverpool have a healthy presence in that team, given how far away, uh, far ahead they are in the league table. I mean, I'm a bit surprised Soyuncu got in there. Really, um, you know, it tends to be like. I, I, I sort of feel like both him and, and Jack Grealish. I mean, Jack Grealish had maybe... How many great games has Jack Grealish had this season? Not that many, really. I, I think that now we tend to judge players on their sort of technical ability rather than rather than necessarily somebody like Jordan Henderson that can sort of understand why people may have been, haven't been drawn to, to vote for him because unless you watch Liverpool on a week-to-week basis, you might not quite appreciate just how... How, how he's led the team. Um, I mean, Jack Grealish has had a good season, but should he be in the team of the year? Mm, I, I think that's a bit generous, to be honest. Um, you know, there are other players, I think, who've probably done a bit better. You know, would you... I mean, I, I, I would choose Grealish over Madison in a, in a conversation, but would you? could you arguably, arguably say that James Madison's had a better season than Grealish? Perhaps he has on the team, uh, on, the, on his impact on the team that he plays for. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's too many complaints there. I'm not being just sitting on the fence there. I just genuinely think that that, that is pretty much a team other than Soyuncu and, and Grealish. You know, there's, there's, there's arguments for other players as well uh, in those positions, I'd say. Uh, Women's Footballer of the Year, Bethany England. And Young Footballer of the Year, Trent Alexander-Arnold James. Yeah, I think that one was a, was a no-brainer, really. I think you, you look at the, the consistency we've seen from Trent, um, all the... All the way through, I think he was he, he was rightly on the shortlist for the for the main award as as well because um, you know he's he's almost redefined the, the fullback role with, with with just how influential he's been for Liverpool this season. What was it twelve Premier League assists? You know, we've still got nine games that we hope are still going to be played at some point, and he's already equaled the Premier League record for the most assists by a defender that he set a year ago. So. Um, a very special player, um, and uh, yeah, he richly deserves that accolade. Great stuff, and of course, you can uh, catch up with all the reaction and debate surrounding those awards on theathletic.com. Thanks to the guys, James and Simon. We'll have another red agenda for you next week. 